This is Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to RadioInfluence.com. I'm your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, June the 26th, 2018. And before I get started, I want to send out two very special birthday wishes. The first to my brother, Edward Hill. He turned the big 47 this past Sunday on June 24th. I'm right behind him. And my dear friend, everyone knows Jerry Petock over at RadioInfluence.com. He's the CEO of the fastest growing podcast network in the world. He turned 40 this past Sunday. And Jerry, welcome to the 40 Club. Trust me, my friend, the years will tick by so quick once you hit the big 4-0. I'm midway through, and I swear I keep asking, where in the heck is the time going? But very, very happy birthday to Jerry. You guys are doing a hell of a job over at Radio Influence, and I believe you guys will take over the market in the podcast world. Now, I got a busy week coming up this week. Thursday and Friday, I'm out in New York again, of course, hosting Law and Crime on the Law and Crime Network, lawandcrime.com, a Dan Abrams production. We all know Dan Abrams from Live PD and from ABC. So make sure you tune in to the Law and Crime Network Thursdays and Fridays to catch me. But don't just catch it for me. Catch tune in every day because we cover the largest and biggest trials in the country. So a special Shout out to the Law and Crime Network. I'm there Thursday and Friday up in New York. Saturday morning at 5, I got to get on a plane, fly to Jacksonville. I'm actually taping two episodes of a new crime drama for the Weather Channel, believe it or not. I believe the show is called Suspicion of the Storm. So I'll be uh, taping two episodes this Saturday in Jacksonville, Jacksonville Beach, as a matter of fact. So hopefully I get a chance to get down to the beach. I doubt it. I got a 5 a.m. flight. I land, I record, and then I have a 345 flight back to Atlanta Saturday. So my next few days will be very busy. Come Saturday night, I think I will be passed out, kind of like I was this past weekend from all the travel that I was involved with. So a couple of updates before we start talking about the case that I want to discuss tonight, and that's uh, Pittsburgh. There was a police shooting a few days ago in Pittsburgh. I definitely want to talk about that, give you my insight on it, tell you my feelings on it. Uh, but before that, I wanted to let you know my w- website has been updated to vincenthilltv.com. That's vincenthilltv.com, which means my website now matches my Twitter and my Instagram. So, hey, if you're one of those tweet fanatics, follow me on Twitter at vincenthilltv. If you prefer Instagram, I'm there at vincenthilltv. If you want to see my latest posts, my latest videos, catch me there at VincentHillTV.com. Now, let's talk about Pittsburgh. So there was a shooting in Pittsburgh, officer-involved shooting, last Tuesday. It's been a week now where protests have been uh, going on for the last several days there in Pittsburgh, day and night, daily protests. A 17-year-old by the name of Antoine Rose was shot and killed by East uh, Pittsburgh police officer. Uh, he was black. He was unarmed. The officer 
was white. Uh, so, of course, that's going to make national news because that's the types of cases that make national news. Now, I'm kind of 50-50 on this shooting. Uh, I can talk about what led to it, and then I can talk about how I feel it could have been prevented or how I feel the officer was not justified in this. And I know coming from me on beyond the badge, when you hear me say an officer not being justified, it's not often. There's only been a few times I've done it like the Walter Scott Scott shooting or uh, the Eric Gardner choking in New York. There's only been a couple of times I've said that, but I want to talk about this shooting and I want to talk about what led to it. And then I want to talk about why I think there were some issues and why I think this probably could have gone a different way. Now, first, uh, this this Antoine Rose, again, 17 year old kid. And I can call him kid. He's 17. He's the same age as my son. He's a kid, the 17 year old kid who is being described as a good kid, an honor student uh, at the local high school there. Um, was shot and killed about 8.30 p.m. last Tuesday. So the gist of it is, again, as I've said thousands upon thousands of times, police just don't show up, get out of the car, and start shooting random black people. It doesn't happen that way. There has to be a call for service or a crime, commission of a crime or, or something like that that the officer witnesses. Okay, so to give a background, the vehicle that Antoine Rose was in matched a description of a vehicle that just minutes before was involved in a drive-by shooting. Okay, so that gives the officer the legal right and the probable cause to do a traffic stop on this vehicle, right? It was used based on the description in a felony, a drive-by shooting, which is a felony, an assault, an attempted murder, however you look at it. Someone was shot. So the officer spots his vehicle. He does a traffic stop. Now, typical to a traffic stop, if the vehicle that is being stopped is involved in this crime, this drive-by shooting in this case, the passengers of that vehicle flee. There's two passengers that get out. They flee. One's in a white shirt. One's in a black shirt. The individual in a white shirt, we can assume was Antoine Rose. As they flee, you can see the officer taking cover behind his car. He fires three shots. You can hear it. It's captured on cell phone video by someone that was observing this from their upstairs window. So you can see Antoine taking out the other person in the vehicle taking off running, and you hear three shots. You can see Antoine fall just before he goes behind a building. I believe it was a house. So you can't see what happened once he starts falling. But you can clearly see that he falls. Now, officers, other officers get to the scene. They recover two handguns uh, in the vehicle. I'm not sure what happened to the driver. That hasn't been reported. But again, it was two passengers that fled. So at first glance, at first glance, it would seem that this officer had the right vehicle because suspects that haven't done anything don't get out and run. And there's guns recovered in the car. Okay, great. So, one would say that the officer would be able to articulate an imminent threat against his life or the lives of others. Because remember, 
There is such thing as a fleeing felon doctrine. It's in every state. Now, remember, a felony has to have occurred. We can assume that the officer is saying the felony that occurred was the drive-by shooting. And if the escape of the individual that is fleeing would present an imminent threat of death or bodily injury against the officer or the public, then you can shoot a fleeing felon. Again, there's at least eight steps to the fleeing felon. The most crucial are felony has been committed, and if that person escapes, they will present an imminent threat against the officer or the public. Sounds pretty cut and dry, right? So, at first glance, someone could say that this shooting was justified. But I have several problems with the shooting. That's right. Vincent Hill, host of Beyond the Badge, who supports police, has a problem with the shooting of Antoine Rose. And I have a problem with it for several reasons. A, okay, the vehicle matched the description. However, it was not confirmed that this was the vehicle involved in the drive-by shooting. So you cannot put two and two together to say this is the vehicle that was used in this felony. So now I have one of the needed criteria for fleeing felon. Now, the second is that if the individual escapes, there's an imminent threat against the officer or the public. Well, you can clearly see Antoine Rose hauling butt out of the car away from the officer. Again, the officer is behind cover of his police cruiser. He's standing between the door and the in the uh, inside of the car. He has the weapon drawn on the car. Antoine flees in the other direction. And there was no sign that he was armed at the time he was running. So therefore, you cannot say that I believe he was armed and therefore I believe he would have been a threat to the public because you cannot articulate that just simply based on the fact that the vehicle may have been used in a drive-by shooting. Just because it may have been used in a drive-by shooting does not suggest that he was armed at the exact moment he was running away. Now, keep in mind, the guns were recovered inside of the vehicle. So here's here's the hardest part of the articulation once those shots were fired. Now, this is directly from the fleeing felon doctrine, right? And it's case law, Tennessee versus Gardner. I remember this case. We had to study it in the police academy, right? It's from a case way back in 1985. But it says a police officer may not seize an unarmed, Antoine was unarmed, non-dangerous suspect by shooting him dead. However, where the officer has probable cause to believe that the suspect poses a threat or serious physical harm either to the officer or others, it is not constitutionally unreasonable to prevent escape by using deadly force. Now, the key here is a police officer may not seize an unarmed, non-dangerous suspect by shooting him dead. Now, seize means basically in this text to eliminate the threat to kill the individual that is fleeing unless the officer has probable cause to believe the suspect poses a threat 
of serious physical harm to the officer or to others. That's the only time it can be done. Now, when you watch the cell phone video, the whole interaction is very quick, less than 10 seconds. Antoine gets out. The other passenger gets out. Three shots go off. You see Antoine fall, I believe, during the second shot. And we don't know what happened after that because the video has not been shown on TV for obvious reasons. The next time we see Antoine is he's being loaded into an ambulance. It's caught by the same person that caught the shooting. Again, she caught this from her upstairs window, so she had a downward view to the entire thing. Here's here's where I struggle with this. And I I don't want to... Monday morning quarterback, the officer, who I'm going to talk about here in a few minutes. I don't need the Monday morning quarterback. I'm just going to point out some things that make you think uh, otherwise of of this officer and his employment. Here's, here's the problem I, I'm having with the articulation in this. If this is what his defense will be, the articulation, that he believed at that exact moment Antoine Rose would be a threat to himself. We can eliminate that because the video clearly suggests that doesn't happen or a threat to the public. Now, it's clear that Antoine was trying to hightail it out of there to avoid those gun charges, to avoid uh, possibly being linked to this this uh, drive-by shooting. Now, there's conflicting reports between the police department officials and sources at the police department that says there is video of Antoine Rose doing a shooting in the vehicle just several minutes before, which could be, couldn't be, but it, it, it doesn't matter what is shown in the video from several minutes ago. It is all about what happened in those split seconds before the officer fired that gun to be able to articulate that he was shooting a fleeing felon based on what the law says, based on what Tennessee versus Gardner says, based on what most federal courts say about fleeing felon. That's where the problem is. So I want to read something from the local uh, news station there in East Pittsburgh to kind of give us a little concept, a little idea of what's going on. High-level police sources tell KDKA there is video that appears to show Antoine Rose firing a gun in North Braddock minutes before he was shot and killed in East Pittsburgh Tuesday night. Police sources also tell KDKA gunshot residue was found on Rose's hands. Looking at the timeline of events, police were called at 8.27 p.m. Tuesday for reports of a drive-by shooting in North Braddock. One man was wounded in that shooting. Sources tell KDKA there is a video that appears to show Rose firing a gun in that incident. One source says there is video from a bus, there's video from a stationary camera, and they're quoted as saying it's good evidence and it explains exactly what happened in North Braddock. I assume that's one of the suburbs in that area. So approximately 13 minutes after this shooting, Officer Michael Rosefeld Rosfeld, pulled over a car that matched the description of the one involved in the drive-by shooting. The car had evidence of gunshots, and the back window appeared to be shattered. Okay, so 
I think I read one report that it said it had bullet holes in the back window shattered. So, again, the officer is thinking this is the vehicle. The driver cooperated with police orders to step out of the vehicle, but Rose and another man in the back seat of the car got out and ran. Video showed by a neighbor shows Rosefield opening fire. Rose was shot three times as he ran away. He died later at a hospital. The second man got away and still has not been found. Now, I think it's important to point out that the driver of the vehicle was what's known as a, a jetney driver. And if you don't know what that is, uh, it's kind of like Uber and Lyft, but without being signed up for Uber and Lyft, if you know what I mean. So what what happens in low-income low areas, people will rent out their cars, take people around for cash because most people don't want to be tracked by Uber or Lyft. So a lot of people that want to get around the city without being tracked through these apps, they will use Jetney drivers. Again, it's people that just let you get in their personal car. Hey, give me $20. I'll take you wherever you want to go. $20 cash. So it's been illegal in Pittsburgh for about 100 years, but of course, people still do it. Now, remember, the officer pulls up. There's bullets uh, on the bullet holes in the car. The back window shattered. This Jetney driver's probably thinking, well, dang, I hope my insurance covers this. But they let the driver go. Uh, Could he be involved in this? Mm, Don't know. Again, he's a Jetney driver. He got in. The the individuals got in his car. They gave him some money. They said, go here. That's what he did because that's what Jetney drivers do. Uh, But again, the guns were recovered inside the car. I'm sure if he is involved in this, officers, they have his information. They will charge him in the drive-by shooting that occurred uh, before the police shooting. And remember, too, there's there's some discrepancies amongst the police department about this video and this GSR because, according to a Lieutenant Andrew Sherman, there is video, but it does not show Antoine Rose firing a gun. And he also says that the report of gunshot residue is absolutely false. So I don't know why some people in the department are saying there is video showing Antoine Rose shooting this gun and there's GSR and other people are saying "Mm, there is no video and there was no GSR. The only thing I can think of is that there is video and they're trying to cover this up from the public to appease the community. But if there's video of him doing the shooting and there's GSR, it needs to come out because Eventually, this officer will go on trial, I assure you, for the murder of Antoine Rose. And, again, I don't agree with the shooting based on what I saw, but all of that evidence would need to come out if there's a trial against this officer for murder because the medical examiner has ruled this a murder by gunshot. So I assure you, based on what's going on, based on the protest. Based on the demands from the community, this officer will go on trial for that murder. Now, there was there was a lot of speculation last Tuesday when this first broke out that uh, the officer involved in this shooting, Michael Rossfeld, was sworn in just 30 minutes prior to the shooting. So, of course, immediately the media, the mass media, all of the people that you see in these protests said, oh, it's all about training. Nobody that uh, 
was just on the street 90 minutes, should have been able to shoot someone. We need better police training. We need this. We need that. Well, I've done some research, and it turns out that Michael Rossfeld, the officer who shot Antoine Rose, has been a police officer since 2011. And when I first heard that he was just sworn on in 90 minutes before, I, I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, I remember the very first night I was sworn on duty, but I was with the field training officer, and you know, I wasn't out by myself, which he was in this, so that really didn't make sense to me. And then when I thought about, oh, he needs training, he needs training, I'm like, well, he had to have gone to a police academy, you know, and the police academy in Pittsburgh is eight months long. So I figured, well, he went to the academy and he had a field training officer. But turns out Michael uh, Rossfeld has been a police officer since 2011. Now, here's where I start to question some things, and I, I questioned it, too, in the Tamir Rice shooting. Remember, the officer that did the shooting had gone from one department to to the department that he was assigned to when he shot Tamir Rice. And in his file, there was some disciplinary stuff that basically said he shouldn't be a police officer. So what did he do? He went from one police department to the next. And now we have Tamir Rice shot. Now, again, uh, let me clarify this. I watched the video. I watched Tamir's actions. I would listen to the 911 call. I watched the officer's reaction when he saw Tamir reach for what he believed was a gun. So I don't want a Monday morning quarterback his actions at that split second. But this officer, Michael Rosfeld, had been a police officer since 2011 with three other police departments prior to going to the East Pittsburgh Police Department. He had been a police officer in Oak Mount, Harmer, don't know where that is, and the University of Pittsburgh Police. Now, typically, when I see this, officers usually, for the most part, I'd say 90% of the officers start and finish their career at one police department. And typically, if there's a move, it's usually just one department because they're tired of the high crime rate, so they want to go to a smaller department and just coast out until they can retire, or... They find another department that is paying higher, and they're attracted to that, so they will transfer eventually to a department for better pay. So it's usually two of the, one of the two. I'm tired of this high crime. I need to relax, coast out until I retire, or, oh, this department is paying more. I have more promotional opportunities. I'll switch over. Now, typically, though, when you see a police officer that has gone through three other police departments in a seven-year period. What is that, an average of two years per department, two and a half years per department? There's something going on there where that officer is usually leaving because he knows he's going to get let go. And if you get let go from a police department, i.e. fired, you lose your post-certification, which means you cannot be a police officer in any other department, usually nationwide, definitely statewide. But if you lose your post certification, you cannot be a police officer in any other department. That should have been red flag number one to the East 
Pittsburgh Police Department. He's gone through three other police agencies in the last seven years. Most people don't even change regular jobs that much in seven years. But when you're moving around from department to department to department, that should tell you something as a recruiter for the incoming police department. Now, his last department, the University of Pittsburgh, he actually was there until, uh, I believe, December of 2017. So just about six or seven months ago, he was there until December of 2017. Or it may have been earlier than that. No, I think he actually, the incident that he was involved with was in December of 2017. He left the department in January of this year. So about six months ago, he left the University of uh, Pittsburgh Police Department and he got hired by the East Pittsburgh Police Department in mid-May. So there's about five months of time where he was not employed as a police officer. Now, based on the information from the University of Pittsburgh Police Department, he was involved in an incident where three individuals were arrested for disorderly conduct, uh, fighting, drunkenness, and, and something else. Uh, but those charges were dropped. And according to the University of Pittsburgh Police, in a nice, fancy memo way of doing things, they basically said, well, the information provided in this officer's affidavit, his statement, his report, did not match the evidence from the incident. So that's a fancy way of saying he wrote something on the report that didn't exist. Now, with that said, here's the million dollar question. Did the East, East Pittsburgh Police Department in mid-May when they hired him know about the December 21st incident and why those charges were eventually dropped? Now, I would assume if there was some disciplinary action, it would be in his personnel file, and that way the recruiter from the East Pittsburgh Police Department would have seen it. But remember what I said earlier. Officers that switch departments that many times, it's typically be, typically because there's something going on, and they're either getting ready to get fired, or they know they're going to get fired, so they just leave really quick. So... Here's the thing. If you leave a department before they open a disciplinary act against you, i.e. heading towards termination, guess what? There's nothing in your police file. There's nothing in your personnel file for the next department to see. So if I had to speculate, this Michael Rosfeld has been gaining the system and jumping from department to department because he knew if I act fast enough before they initiate a termination or before they initiate disciplinary action, it won't be in my file. Because if I leave a department on a Monday and by Wednesday or Thursday they say, oh, we need to write him up. Well, we can't write him up. He doesn't work here anymore. He resigned. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, We'll just seal his personnel file with what it has in it right now. And if someone asks, we'll give it to him. That's how it works. So I think if I had to speculate, this officer, Rossfeld, has been gaining the system, jumping from department to department 
to department to the fourth department where he was involved in a shooting of Antoine Rose last Tuesday night. Now, again, I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking this officer's decision to shoot. Here's what I will say. I always say, let's not rush to judgment. I know on the surface, yes, you see him get out of the car. You see Antoine get out of the car. He runs a few steps. He's shot in the back. But I'd be interested to see, was there body cam footage from that officer? Is there other cell phone camera footage from another citizen that may show something different that we cannot see in the initial video? We don't know if there was something that at that second the officer may have seen that he thought there was an imminent threat. Again, I don't see it on the surface of the video that was captured in the upstairs window, but we cannot judge everything based on a 10, 15 second video. I've said that time and time again. How many times have body cams come back to exonerate an officer or how many times has DNA come back to exonerate an officer. So with that said, I'm curious to see where this case will go. Uh, again, I do question why Michael Rossfeld jumped from department to department. Uh, I think he was with the uh, University of Pittsburgh police the longest, I believe from 2013 until earlier this year when he left for the, the uh, allegation of the evidence, not the, the his report rather, not matching the evidence of an incident that he was one of the arresting officers in. So I'll be real curious to see where this case goes as it goes along. Uh, Again, there's protests going on right now in the city of Pittsburgh, obviously for obvious reasons. Again, Antoine Rose was 17 years old. He was unarmed. He was running away from a vehicle that matched the description of a vehicle used in a drive-by shooting. Police recovered two guns from the vehicle. There's conflicting reports within the department that Antoine Rose was captured on surveillance footage doing the drive-by shooting and that he did have GSR on his hand. That is yet to be determined. Again, if this goes to trial, which I believe it will, all of that will need to come out so that the officer gets a fair trial. Yes, it's tragic that Antoine Rose lost his life, but when you're talking about the judicial system and people having a fair trial, If there is this video, if there is this GSR, all of that needs to come out. If there's another camera angle, body cam, all of that needs to come out. And if there isn't, and one of the city administrators said it best, if the officer acted with ill regard, he will face the consequences as he should. I mean, what else can you say to that? But don't take my word for it. Go watch the video for yourself if you haven't. Antoine Rose, that's all you have to do is Google that. You can find the video uh, on just about any website. Every major media outlet has covered it. So trust me, the video is out there. Again, it was really quick. You see Antoine jumping out of the car. He's in a white shirt. He starts to run. A few seconds later, pow, pow, pow. You can see him fall down during the second shot. Uh, I believe the autopsy said he was shot three times in the back as he ran away. Now, I can only assume, again, that the defense for this will be that it was a fleeing felon. But my personal take on it is those elements of that doctrine were not met in this shooting. But that's just me. We'll have to wait and see when it goes to court. All right. We are out of time. But of course, 
It is time for my 10-7 segment before I end the show, and this is the part of the show where I dedicate uh, just a few minutes to a fallen officer. 10-7, for those that don't know, means end of tour, end of your tour of duty. And usually when an officer is killed in the line of duty, when you hear the radio dispatcher say he's 10-7 for the remainder, that means he was killed in the line of duty and he or she was killed in the line of duty and they are 10-7 for the remainder, meaning they will never be back on duty. Uh, And since we're talking about Pittsburgh, I actually want to highlight three officers. I'm going to read uh, the readout for uh, police officer Eric Guy Kelly, but inside of this readout uh, are the other two officers that also lost their lives back on April the 4th, 2009. Officer Kelly, Eric Kelly was shot and killed after responding to assist Officer Stephen Mayle and Officer Paul Scalio, who had been shot and killed at the scene of a domestic disturbance. At approximately 7 a.m., Officer Mayle and Officer Scalio received a call of a domestic disturbance between a mother and a son in the Stanton Heights section of the city. When they arrived, they approached the front door of the house but were ambushed by the suspect who opened fire at the officers, killing them both. Officer Eric Kelly, who was off duty and returning home after his shift, heard the call and responded to the scene. The suspect, who was firing an AK-47 from the window of his home, shot and mortally wounded Officer Kelly as he exited his vehicle and attempted to aid Officer Mayo and Scalio. Despite being mortally wounded, Officer Kelly was able to call in the shooting and direct responding officers to the location. The responding officers were fired upon by the suspect, but were able to pull Officer Kelly from the line of fire. One officer was shot in the hand, and the other officer suffered a broken leg while rescuing Officer Kelly. Officer Kelly was taken to a local hospital where he died from his wounds. The suspect who was armed with several guns and protected by a bullet-resistant vest, engaged patrol and SWAT officers in a gun battle in which over 100 rounds were fired. After a four-hour standoff in which he was shot several times in the legs and vest, he surrendered. He was arrested and charged with three counts of aggravated homicide and assault and sentenced to death on June 28th. 2011. Officer Kelly had served with the Pittsburgh Police Department for 14 years and had previously served with the United States Marine Corps. He is survived by his wife and three daughters. Officers Mayo and Scalio both had only served with the uh, Pittsburgh Police Department for a total of one year. So three officers in the city of Pittsburgh lost their lives on the same day, April 4th, 2009. Godspeed to them for being brave enough to pay the ultimate sacrifice in protecting and serving. That always goes unrecognized when we're talking about police. But I think it's only fitting, again, since we're talking about an incident that happened in the city of Pittsburgh, that we honor these three officers. I want to thank you so much for listening tonight. And I will see you right here, same place, same time, next Tuesday, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, 
And to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a dark to light with Frank and Beans quick fix on Radio Influence. My understanding up to this point was that the investigative body of the FBI never actually even gave they they actually ran a cover fire operation for the prosecute the prosecutors at the DOJ by recommending that no charges should be filed. So where did prosecutors even I thought that this was all investigative the uh, the mid-year exam thing. I didn't even know that prosecutors were involved at that point. Prosecutors were involved and so was a grand jury. Um they never brought any person in front of the grand jury. They used they never even I think there was only one subpoena that they received. Basically the prosecutors sat their witnesses down that they brought in, compelled them to testify by dangling immunity agreements and whatever else they decided to do in front of them and got them to testify, you know, or to question them so that they could ultimately lead themselves up to the big fish, which would be Hillary Clinton. Dark to Light with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.